Welcome back to Strong Reception with me, Eli James. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'd love it if you subscribed anywhere you get your podcasts. And I'd love it if you uh, left a note for the podcast at StrongPod on Twitter or uh, leave me a note at E-L-I-O-E-L-I. I'd love to hear from you and hear what you think. Uh, hey, we've got two feet of snow here in New York City, which is just about the only halfway normal thing that's happened to us in the last 12 months. So most of us recently celebrated the handing over of power to a seemingly sane new president, but there's no time to kick back and rest on our civic laurels here in New York City because it's already the start of another election season, here in a city where elections never sleep. In just a few months, in June, we've got the mayoral primary, borough president primaries, and 35 city council primaries encompassing more than 300 candidates at last count. And you know what else never sleeps in New York City? Election-based shenanigans. Uh, And by shenanigans, I just mean our dear old city's robust history of electoral gaffes, malfeasance, loophole Olympics, patronage pit incompetence, and just creaky old election laws that disenfranchise hundreds of thousands of New Yorkers every year. But there are people out there who have been working tirelessly to change these laws and close these loopholes and create more voting equity for all. So I'm really honored and excited to have on the show today L. Joy Williams, who not only hosts the podcast Sunday Civics, which I've been listening to and learning a lot from, but is also president of the Brooklyn branch of the NAACP and chair of the Higher Heights Political Action Committee, a national organization working to elect more progressive black women to office at the state, city, and federal levels. She also co-founded and serves as chair emeritus for Higher Heights for America, which is working to harness the voting power of black women in this country. L. Joy Williams is also an experienced political campaign strategist and heads her own firm, LJW Strategies. She worked as senior advisor to Cynthia Nixon during her 2018 bid to unseat Andrew Cuomo as governor of New York, and she's provided her campaign expertise to a long list of prominent politicians, including New York City public advocate Jumani Williams, New York State Attorney General Letitia James, Congresswoman Yvette Clark, and Stacey Abrams, now a Nobel Prize nominee, during her run for governor of Georgia. L. Joy is currently senior advisor to mayoral candidate Raymond McGuire, who is one of many, many individuals hoping to succeed New York City Mayor Bill de Blasio when he is term limited out of office at the end of this year. L. Joy Williams, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so very much for having me. Uh, so in your podcast, Sunday Civics, uh, you refer to your episodes as classes. Uh, in fact, you have a kind of... Um, pro wrestling type announcer uh, stating that uh, it's time for class. Um, So is this because you believe strongly that there just isn't enough basic knowledge among everyday folks about their, their local politics? It's so interesting that you would describe it as a wrestler announcer. (laughs) Or action movie trailer guy. That's exactly what I was going for. I'm trying to make civics exciting and engaging and like coming to class that it's, you know, you're you're ready for the fight. You're ready for the battle because that's what we are doing. You're you're learning the techniques. You're learning the strategy and the battle formations uh, to go out and take civic action. So that's exactly it was supposed to be like a mix between that and like church and school. So I think (laughs) thank you for confirming that I accomplished that. 
Oh yeah, it's it's real serious. Yeah, no. Uh, <laughs> um, it's funny because in your in your most recent episode, which is called uh, "Accountability is Love," accountability is love. Uh, you give your listeners a homework assignment. Uh, the first being to look up who their local representatives are, and. Uh, I'll admit that until just a few years ago, really, I was one of those New Yorkers who had no idea and very little interest in who my assembly member was, who my state senator was, who my city council member was, who my congressional rep was, really. And um, I I didn't know. I didn't care. I was too busy. Uh, (laughs) So now I care passionately and I vote in every single election, not just the presidential. What do you think is the potential harm that can come from people like the former me who, who felt like they just don't have time to care about all this? Well, now I know that you're actually a class participant, so I'll have to shout you out um, during, <laughs> during episodes every now and then, um, like bringing, calling someone up, for, you know, to the front of the class. But um, I think it's really important to change the focus of our perception of who elected officials are and what their role is. You know, I, I spend a lot of time on the show talking about You know, these are people that we hire with our vote to -hmm. represent us. And I always ask the question, as you know, how can someone represent you if they never hear from you? And so if you are in a relationship, a friendship or someone representing you, you know, even think about an attorney client relationship. You have to actually speak to your client (laughs) to understand Mm -hmm. what their needs are, what um, issues they want addressed um, or how you want the case to progress in the case of a, an attorney. And the same goes for the people we elect to represent us in legislatures or in other um, elected executive positions. So they are going to go off and you know focus on their own values, or quite frankly, they're going to speak to or address issues based upon the people they hear from the most. And we complain a lot, obviously, in, you know, not to say that we shouldn't, about elected officials who favor lobbyists, who favor people that contribute to them. Well, they also are the people that speak the most to them. And so if you only listen to, you know, lobbyists and your donors and others, you're going to have a very skewed view of what your responsibility is as that state assembly member, as that U.S. senator. And so Mm. what I'm advocating for is for uh, those of us who've hired them with their vote, for us to be more communicative to uh, the people we've hired with our vote. Okay. And to you, is it does communicative mean um, get their email address, get their phone number, call, leave messages, send emails about issues that we care about? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, in this COVID time, as uh, you know, I just said on the uh, lesson, it's not like you can visit their office, um, you know, depending on where you live and how rampant Mm -hmm. COVID is. So it's not like you can walk up in the office and, you know, talk to their staff and engage and see, you know, what they are working on or engage them in public. So having their phone number having their Twitter handle, having, you know, their Facebook page. And as issues are coming up that you are communicating, you know, as their constituent, what you want to see done. And, you know, 
back in the day, I don't know how old you are, but back in the day, like you only had a certain amount of space for numbers on speed dial. Like, you know, it's right. just went through. Now we don't have that problem. Right. So right. in your phone, you can save the information um, just as a contact for your council person, your assembly, your senator, your alderman, you know, save those numbers and that information in your phone. And as you see um, information bubbling up in whether it's your local community or even talking about Congress, you know, you are able as a constituent to communicate to that office what your vision is for your own community. And we have to stop thinking about the elected officials as you know, uh, I have a number of friends who are elected to office and quite often when people encounter them, they encounter them like celebrities. It's like, oh, my God, it's you mm-hmm. know, so-and-so. And because you see them on TV, you know, um, their name appeared on a ballot. They ran for office. Right. So we have a certain amount of celebrity that we have placed upon elected officials rather than the public servants that they should be. Um, and, you know, I tease my friends who are elected all the time and people come up to us if we happen to be, you know, this is pre COVID like out and they're like, oh my God, it's Senator so-and-so. And I'm like, mm, that's just Kevin, <laughs> <laughs> you, know, like, you know, it's the sort of, because then when you change the relationship that these are folks that represent me and I need you to carry out what's in the best interest of our community, you know, that that changes the relationship. And then government and politics is not something that happens to you. It's something that happens with you, with your consent, with your involvement, with your engagement. Um, and they look, people may not always make decisions that are 100 percent aligned with you. Right. And I try to dispel that, you know, myth that just because you, uh, you know, you're supporting this person, that they're going to agree with you. A hundred percent on all issues on a you know line. That's just not the case. But at least having participation and engagement makes you one better informed and two more likely that the issues that both you and others in your community care about actually get acted upon. Mm-hmm. But on the flip side of that, could be like let's say your represented local official is someone you did not vote for and mm-hmm. actually didn't want to see in office. That doesn't necessarily mean that you still can't lobby them in in your own way. Absolutely. That's actually more reason for you to communicate with them (laughs) Um, because they because you didn't elect them, because you didn't vote them, but they're still your representative. You're still their constituent. And so, you know, there's for some issues, particularly when you're talking on the level, uh, the local level, like there's no there's a phrase, there's no Republican way or Democratic way to pick up the garbage. The garbage just need to get picked up. Right. right. So if you are in an area and you're focused on in your local community, whether it's trash pickup or, you know, the park needs additional funding for repairs or, you know, we need to there's no stoplight at this area and we need to address it, things of that nature. Like it doesn't matter whether or not that person is not in your same party um, that you didn't vote for them. Those things, they still have a responsibility to participate and get those things done. And so it's also more reason for you to communicate you know, when they're voting on the big things like a budget, the, the city budget or the state budget, or if they are voting on a controversial bill and you didn't support them and they do have um, uh, values that are different than yours, they need to hear more from the people who don't think the same way that they do um, so that they can, you know, the smart ones will say, well, 
I may not personally uh, agree with this. Let's see what kind of compromise we can come to or what my district would be um, interested in seeing. Um, mm-hmm. That's really good ones. And I mean, we like to highlight the bad elected officials a lot. They get a lot of press. Um, but for uh, for others, like th- just this regular communication with those who represent you, there's not a downside to that um, because things that are not voiced issues that don't um, uh, bubble to the top, don't get addressed. And then they Mm. are allowed to fester. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I just want to go back quickly to something you said about being starstruck by some elected officials, especially when they have a high profile and are on TV a lot or on the radio a lot. Um, It's funny. I, I, one time I was invited to a press conference to uh, ask um, uh, City Council Speaker Corey Johnson some questions at a press conference uh, related to voting for my blog. And uh, I was really nervous. And um, I remember thinking, you know, when it was when he called on me, um, I asked my question. I kind of didn't didn't think he gave a very complete answer. Uh and, and I wanted to do a follow up, and I was so certain, so nervous. I'm like, wait, can I do a follow up? I don't want to bother the guy. And I just thought, like, wait a minute, he's <laughs> this is what he's here for. He's here to answer our questions. Exactly, exactly, and and to not feel, and that's part of the the reason for the show is to empower people with the information, and also the right that you have a right to participate in this process. That you do have a right to ask the question. You do have um, uh, the right to be there. Right. <laughs> you know, even even just like oh, it's a press conference, and I'm a blogger. There was a time when you know people said to bloggers or others that they couldn't be part of a press conference. I'm like, why not? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like they're they are answering questions to the public as well and right. um, really empowering people with that information that you are allowed to ask questions. It is your right to question whether or not the people um, that represent you are actually doing what the community needs to be done. Mm-hmm. Um, great. I want to talk about voting in New York City for a bit because I feel like that's uh, it, it's it's a subject that maybe doesn't get as much as much airtime as it should, uh, especially on a national level. Um, you know, a lot of people like to talk about sort of disenfranchising practices in southern states and more rural places, but uh, New York City has, I think, a lot of problems with voting. Um, uh, now, since 2019, there have been a lot of voting and election reforms passed uh, primarily because we got a um, a Democratic majority in the state Senate and a group of new state senators that were really passionate about election reform. And we got early voting for the first time. Uh, I believe that came into effect in 2019. Yeah, fall 2019. We got early voting. We were such a long holdout on that. We got uniform polling times. We got electronic poll books. Uh, we got pre-registration of 16 and 17 year olds, um, but there's still a lot of lot more uh, work we need to do. Um, is there an issue that you can think of uh, specific to New York that is still keeping people from being able to register and or vote? Well, we're we're also in the middle of the, um, um, shortening the registration, trying to get to same day voter registration. Yeah. The law in New York State applies. It had to be voted on in two consecutive legislative sessions, which is on a way to do that before it would actually go on the ballot for Mm -hmm. New Yorkers to approve that. So we're in the uh, process of making that happen. The other um, more uh, uh, 
not more important, but important issue is, you know, the governor um, did an executive order granting people on parole the right to vote, but that's not permanent. You right. know, um, it still requires a pardon for people to be able to vote. They have to go through a process. And so actually making that law so that people don't have to so that it's automatic and people don't have to apply for a pardon, you know, sort of go through that process in order to vote. So that's something that's really important as well. And, you know, making sure that we have um, a structure and the proper resources for the Board of Elections offices across the state that are able to implement the reforms that were passed. You know, Mm -hmm. talk about early voting there, you know, we take for granted in New York City what we're able to do and, you know, how we're able to travel. But in upstate and other Western parts of the um, state, the having the funding necessary to actually execute early voting, um, the extended hours, which were also passed, is a struggle. And so the state has to pick up that cost um, and should pick up that cost so that people, it doesn't disenfranchise people that because of where you live in the agency or the Board of Elections doesn't have the resources uh, as a town or as a county to implement it. It's something across the board, sort of making it across right. the board. That that was the thing about the polling hours, which was also passed, is that, you know, in some areas of the state, you know, in New York City, we took for granted polls open at six. You know, they close at, you know, a certain time. That wasn't right. the case, you know, upstate. Right. The other thing is. About- so can I clarify on one point sure. uh, you were making? Was it that um, for upstate communities, it's, it's um, the burden of paying for the period of early voting or paying for the extended hours falls on the community itself, falls on the local county board? Well, it's a, it's a combination of state, uh, local, um, it's a combination um, in terms of how the, the structure is done. And so what some of the boards were, were crying broke that we don't have the ability, we don't have the manpower and the, you know, uh, mm-hmm. to be able to do two full weekends you know, in full weeks of early voting. We don't have the population that actually uses this, right? So it's di- it's going to be different from for different areas. In New York City, which is more populous, which actually the city also kicks in money, you know, for to execute um, the election process, you know, there's a little difference. But if you're in a smaller town with, a le- you know, a smaller tax base, you may not be able to do that. Um, and so it's looking across the board holistically, you know, making sure that there is no excuse for states not to implement, um, you know, the reforms that were passed to ensure that everybody has the right to vote. Mm-hmm. And okay, great. So you were, I think you were about to talk about some other reforms you'd like to see. Yeah. Um, you know, the other thing that we uh, used during this COVID um, time was absentee voting, absentee yeah. ballot voting, right? And, you know, in New York, we actually, um, didn't have have no excuse. <laughs> so you actually right. had to have a legitimate excuse. And this is something that I've always wanted to challenge even, you know, 20, you know, uh, 20 years ago. Um, because if you, there were times that I was working on campaigns, I've worked on presidentials and been like in Wisconsin during elections and had to get an absentee ballot. And I remember walking in and saying, oh, I need an absentee ballot, you know, application and absentee because I'm going to be out of the state. And they were like, okay. And I just filled it out and was there. I was like, nobody checked or verified. I didn't have to show a ticket. <laughs> you know, I didn't have to show anything. And mm-hmm. so I, I remember 20 years ago, like being with advocates and I was like, why don't we just challenge this and just like have 
have a particular, you know, borough or area, just all request absentee and just say, you know, I'm going to be out of town or I'm going to be sick or something like that in order to force the change of the law, right? To say like, this is ridiculous as to why you have to have a quote unquote excuse. And during COVID, what happened is that the governor actually made it an excuse, made COVID-19 being a pandemic an actual excuse because the law says you have to have an excuse. Like, right. And to clarify for, for listeners, uh, New York, it's still the law that we, we don't have, when we say we, that we don't have no excuse absentee voting, that means if you want to get an absentee ballot, you have to show that you are too ill to make it to the polls, uh, that you are going to be absent from your voting district. Uh, and so that's why you need one. Uh, or um, I believe being uh, in prison, I believe, is another excuse. There's or sort of uh, non-felony prison. Yeah, conviction. like you are being detained. Um, okay. So, you know, like you're on Rikers or something like you, you, it's not that you've been convicted yet. So if you right. are, you know, detained, if you're in a nursing home, if, you know, all of those kinds of things. So you actually have to have, there has to be a reason why you are voting absentee, basically. And so through executive order, the governor made COVID-19 a reason uh, for requesting an absentee ballot. And that's how we got to use uh, absentee ballot voting during, you know, the federal primary and then the general election. So Mm -hmm. there is, um, you know, in progress now, actual legislation to actually make it no excuse. So you could just have it as a, so you can either vote in person, vote by mail, which, you know, is absentee or vote early. Yeah. And I believe that is, does that need to be a constitutional amendment for the New York constitution? Yes. Okay. Which means it has to pass um, two legislative sessions and then go through a referendum process. Exactly. Uh, I'm not sure where it is right now. It's in progress. (laughs) Okay. Still working through Albany. Um, Some other changes that have happened is now we've got automatic voter registration, uh, which Governor Cuomo just signed into law, um, I believe December 22nd, he signed that into law, which means that potential voters who aren't registered, um, whenever they interact with a state agency or certain state agencies and they have to fill out any paperwork, they will. Um, they used to have an option to opt in to register to vote when interacting with these agencies and filling out paperwork. But now it'll. they will have to opt out instead of opt in with this new law, which, and the idea there is that you have to go out of your way to not register to vote as opposed to go out of your way to register to vote, which has normally been the case. Exactly. Exactly. But that doesn't come online for a while. Uh, from what I understand, uh, the agencies are going to be like the DMV here, mm-hmm. Department of Health, uh, Office of Temporary and Dis- excuse me, Office of Temporary and Disability Assistance, Department of Labor, and a few others, including uh, the New York City Housing Authority. Um, but wouldn't come online until 2023 for the DMV. 2024 for the uh, Department of Health, Labor, and Office of Temporary and Disability Assistance. And um, SUNY is going to offer this in 2025. So it's going to be a while. Yeah. And, you know, in the meantime, you know, continuing to push for different options, you know, one thing about that bill was about what agencies we that would be included in the Automatic Voter Registration Act, making okay. sure that, 
you know, the agencies that people have the most frequent interaction with, obviously, um, for uh, some in the state DMV. But if you look at, you know, downstate New York, particularly New York City, like not everybody has a license, right? So what other agencies do they interact with that would allow for this to happen? And so that was, uh, the devil was in the details, as you would say, in ensuring that, you know, the agencies that people most interact with are included um, in in the agencies included in that bill. Hmm. Um, do you think that, do you think this will be a big uh, help in getting more people registered and participating? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, just to making it part of the regular, you know, regular dealings and regular action um, uh, at, for people to deal with, whether they're dealing with, you know, local city agencies or state agencies, the more opportunity you have for people to engage, um, get registered and participate the process, the better. And quite frankly, we, um, y- you know, in New York City and places um, across the state, we have a pretty good average in terms of people actually registering where we need to push more. And we've seen some of this start to turn um, over the past um, a few years isn't more people actually voting. So, you know, not so much a registration problem, but a turnout problem. And in order for that, for us to address that, we've done some of those reforms by creating different opportunities for people to participate in voting, right? So, um, you know, not only the registration, but then talking about now we have early vote. Now we have, you know, we're going to have mail-in voting and then voting on election day. So those are all opportunities for people to participate in the process more than just than one day in voting. And, you know, we'll have to do, and this not comes from the law, but this now comes where policy comes into place with early voting is about expanding where early locations and what the hours are, because, you know, making it a regular um, part, this past election was the first presidential election that New York experienced where we had early vote. Um, And so our first election, um, which was, you know, low turnout, um, you know, but once getting people one used to a change in when the primary was, because remember our primary was in September and now it's in June. Right. We had two primaries mm -hmm. every election year, uh, June and September. So changing, so changing that and, and getting people. uh, And that was changed. Sorry, yeah. that was changed to June. Just for folks who don't know, that was changed to consolidated into one federal and state primary in June. Okay, sorry, um, you were saying no problem. And so, so one the voter education of switching, you know, primaries, and then also starting an early vote. And you see a difference. The first time we use early vote turnout on early vote was, you know, not the same as it was this past election, right? Where you had yeah, lives around the corner, you know, yeah. for days as people were participating um, in the process. So, well, the first time it was rolled out, I remember was uh, October, November, 2019. There were five ballot proposals yes. that year, depending on what district you were in, you had some local elections and also judge elections. And now, of course, we had June of 2020 and, and uh, November of 2020, both had early voting periods for national and state. And we saw a, a huge bump. But the thing is, we don't have regular locations for early voting. And they're often different from where Election Day place is, right? Exactly. So the uh, early vote locations, they really try to concentrate a number of 
polling locations in one area. So it's not as if you would go to your regular site, which would happen on election day. So it's different sites. So educating people about that. And also there are different hours. They're not open from 6 a.m. to 9 p.m. like every other like every other time. Um, right. And so really, uh, one, finding locations that are accessible, that are centralized in areas while also uh, making sure people have the education and knowledge of when things are open um, and, you know, when they will be is really important. Yeah. Is is that something that comes into play when you talk to people who just aren't engaging as much or wish they were participating more in the voting process, but just aren't? Is that is that a big thing that comes up? Well, that's not the first thing that comes up. You know, certainly of how do I participate is, you know, in general, whether it's early vote, where my polling site is or any of that. But the first thing that comes up for people is really they they want to know more about what they're participating in. Um, Mm -hmm. So in terms of the engagement, like who's on the ballot, what do these roles do? You know, do they even are they even responsive to people? Um, You know, I only see politicians around election time. And, you know, are they really addressing the issues that are prevalent in my community or how is this connected to the issues that I want addressed in my community? So engagement. uh, So, you know, increasing voter turnout begins with actually engaging people. And that's the responsibility, not only you know, of advocates and activists and others like us, but also the elected officials and, you know, overall government. People need to feel that their voice matters, that they have a say and that their uh, issues are being addressed in order for them to participate in the system. Otherwise, if you live in communities and, you know, you can see the direct correlation in looking at areas that have low turnout. They also have low responses in terms of services. They also have Uh, um, low investment from, you know, institutions into their areas. So you can see when you have a lack of engagement from those entities, you also have a lack of participation in the system. Right, right. Um, And do you think, do you think the implementation of uh, this new thing we have now in New York City, ranked choice voting, um, do you think that will help engage voters? It's a system where you get to rank your top five candidates in terms of preference uh, from one to five, um, which is something that is just now being tested out in a special election in Queens and is going to be rolled out full stop for our June primaries. Um, uh, do, do you think that will help people feel more empowered or it's just something that's more complicated? No, I mean, I think it's just another way. It's just another form of voting. It's, a you know, and again, if you still don't do the other things of engagement, of educating people about the process, uh, have making sure that people have a, a say and feel that their voices are heard and inclusive in the people who represent them. It doesn't matter whether you have a winner take all system or a ranked choice vote system, people won't engage. Right. So you right. still there's not um, you know, it's not like there's one magic bullet, you know, in changing our voting system that uh, will make people feel more. You still need that engagement. There is no shortcut around that. What I do believe is that with proper education, as in all of these things, you know, people will feel um, that there is at least, um, you know, that they're getting there's more buy in in terms of them, you know, ranking candidates. It's also less money. And so you don't have to, you know, do a runoff election, you know, after getting the top two, you know, it, 
between two, our two candidates, which, you know, is a whole nother election on a whole nother day. And you usually have, you know, less people participate in that process or on that election. So, you know, with any process, there still comes the engagement and the education that needs to be done in order for people to participate. And that's that's a really great point. And that's something that I like about your podcast is, um, you know, when people talk about civic education, it's often with an aim toward uh, our school kids. And I think that's great. But I think I also think like, hey, I'm talking to people. A lot of adults I know have no idea how our elections work or who's running, you know, whether it's, you know, trying to talk to people about public advocate race or or anything like that. A lot of people that I would normally interact with pre-COVID, just like, oh, wait, what is this? Tell me about it. So I feel like, yeah, uh, plenty of adults, um, we need that education too. And I wonder why there isn't more public outreach from the city or the state to just people everyday people who like, you know, um, what am I thinking? Like, you know, there, there are public, um, what am I thinking of uh, public service ads around for, Hey, here's what not to flush down the toilet. Uh, yeah. you know, I just <laughs> wish there was more about voting. Yes. And, you know, uh, to, to that investment on a year round, because people do feel that, you know, they get a heightened sense of engagement around election time. And then that makes people feel like their voice is only cared about around election time. Hmm. And, you know, I, I try to, through the show and just in regular communication, sort of describe the many entry points that you have to be engaged in the protest process, even when you're busy, because you started off talking about that. It's just like, I'm busy. I don't have time to talk to electives. When actually do you do? Because how often do we tweet at companies or things like that when they've done something and we don't like, or they do something we do like? And I advocate for that as well, that we should not just communicate with the people who represent us when we don't like something, we should communicate to them when we do like something too. Okay. <laughs> so that, you know, it's just like, oh, I saw you voted on, you know, a stim, you know, stimulus package to give more money to people in need. I appreciate your vote on that. Right. Like this is this is the this is the right choice to make. Like this is what I need you to do. Right. So it's not just when you're when you're angry, but then also when someone has done what you elected them to do or the made the decision that you wanted them to make. And it, it's really important to once you have people engaged um, and they see it's not hard, they see it doesn't take a lot of time. They see, they see I, you know, I don't need multiple degrees or I don't have to be somebody, you know, important and with name recognition or a lot of followers to actually engage and get something uh, done or at least my voice be heard. You know, that dispels the um, uh, myth that you have to be important in, in order for pe- th- those who are elected to respond to you. Hmm. That's, that's a really great way to look at it. Um, and it's so easy for, and, and I'm not, you know, I, I'm guilty of this as well. I'm not blaming anyone like, but it's very easy for us to get, engage in negative emotion, especially online and social media. Um, but to actually try to communicate what you want and what you, what is meaningful to you is, is, is harder to do. We're just not uh, habituated to do it yeah. in the same way. Absolutely. Um, well, on that note, uh, how, how are you on time? Do you have to go? Um, oh, yes. All right. Well, maybe I can have you back for a, a part two sometime. Sure. Because um, uh, there was a couple other uh, voting-related issues I'd love to ask you about. But all right. Well, thank you so much, Eljoy Williams, for, for being on. And um, what is, um, 
what is it you're you're focused on right now in terms of your uh, leadership at the Brooklyn NAACP or with uh, Higher Heights or with your campaign for Ray McGuire for mayor? Wow. Um, so there is a lot. There's a whole book <laughs> on, yeah. on each of those things. But, you know, for Brooklyn NAACP, we're focused on, you know, continuing to expand our membership and our reach by engaging people on issues that are important in their local uh, community, on their block, in their immediate neighborhood and, you know, giving them the tools, the resources and education to be advocates on um, their own behalf. Um, additionally, like you mentioned, there's elections, <laughs> um, the municipal election cycle and really educating people about um, the new process of ranked choice voting, you know, getting ready for redistricting, which, you know, hopefully I'll, you'll have me back to talk about. Um, yeah believe that redistricting is something, again, that happens to them, that they can't participate in this process. And there is a way to participate in the process. Um, so we'll be doing that on the Brooklyn NAACP side. On higher height side, you know, our mission is to help elect more Black women, you know, across the board. And so there are uh, a number of municipal elections happening across the country, not just in New York City. And uh, we're helping to elect some more Black women as mayors. Um, and so we'll be doing that process. Uh, as well. And, you know, here in New York City, you know, um, New York City is like a city, um, no other across the country. You mm -hmm. know, our budget is, you know, more than some states. You know, we have a population that is more than some states. Yeah. And so uh, really, it's really important to have a leader and elect and a leader who not only shares um, our values and shares the values of taking care of New Yorkers, but also has the management experience to manage a huge bureaucracy um, mm. like New York City is. I've made the choice um, in because that's what I was looking for, someone who shared my values, but also had great management experience. And that's how I got, um, you know, to uh, support Ray McGuire and, you know, looking forward to the uh, campaign trail. We got like five months, you know, to <laughs> talk to more people uh, across the city about this election. So it's going to be really great. Yeah. My next question will be, when, when do you sleep? Um, but we'll save that for next time. <laughs> about four hours. <laughs> really? Yes. Wow. And you can function on that? Not long time, like, I, you know, usually towards the weekend I get, you know, I I have a, my um, mentor says you can't catch up on sleep, but I, I do it every weekend. <laughs> wow. Wow. Yeah, I would not be able to do that. So, wow, that's great. Thank you so much uh, for being on today and making the time. I really appreciate it. No problem. No problem. Thanks for listening to my first conversation with Eljoy Williams. I hope it's not the last. Uh, you can follow her on Twitter at Eljoy Williams, and you can find her podcast Sunday Civics wherever you get your podcast. It's got great conversations about modern day civics and some really great discussions of history. Huh. That's funny. That sounds like my podcast, which you can subscribe to on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Pocket Casts, Podchaser, Podsoup. I made that last one up, but I like it. Um, Google Podcasts. If you're enjoying Strong Reception, please tell a friend. Uh, please let me know your thoughts at StrongPod on Twitter. And I'd love to hear from you. I've got some really cool episodes coming up that I hope you'll enjoy. Uh, and hey, please stay safe. 
that's a reminder to myself as much as to anyone else. Uh, safety, distance, masking. There's still a lot of people out there um, who don't wear masks, especially in my supermarket. And I have to remind myself, I can leave. I don't have to stay here. I, I don't have to linger over these onions. Um, and yet I did. Yesterday, I lingered. And this is not something to play around with. I just want to remember that. This, you know, living in total isolation and not going anywhere really stinks, but but getting COVID and spreading COVID is worse. If you know someone who doesn't believe in wearing masks, maybe ask them what news they're getting. I'd be curious to know that. Um, but let's stay safe and, and, and wear masks, please, pretty please, please, to avoid more death, please. Okay, thanks so much for joining me today. Be well.